feels good to be back in this room. Been like seven months uh, since we have gathered in this place as God's people to worship and to sing and to, to pray. And even as I walked in this morning, I was like, oh, there's just like a smell to the place. It's not a bad smell necessarily. <laughs> I don't know, maybe you think it is. Um, but it's just good to be uh, back in uh, this place. This morning, I want to ask you a question. Uh, I want you to consider the, the question that you hear each day, uh, maybe in your, your workplace, maybe in your home. Like, like, what's a question that just, like, pops up a lot for you? There's a question that pops up in our house each and every day that I live and breathe, and it's just three words. It's a simple question, and it's just a question, how many minutes? Like, how many minutes until supper? Uh, how many minutes until school? Like how many minutes until this thing or that thing or this other thing over here? How many minutes does it take to drive, this is a big one, from this place to the other place? I've got an eight-year-old in the back seat who just wants to know. And he's still at the age where he thinks that I actually know everything. It's very sweet. But I think as we think about the New Testament church today, I think there, there's something about our humanity that we're asking this question. Like how many minutes? Like how long am I going to be in this place in my life? How long am I going to have to struggle in this place? How long am I going to be, need to doubt and wrestle in this way in my life? How many minutes? And it's not about when the next meal is going to come. It's not about when we're getting to the next place. But like, Lord, how long do I have to carry this? Um, I grew up in Missoula, Montana, and there is a railroad track that went through our backyard. That was like the boundary for like, my mom was like, you can play anywhere. Just don't go beyond the railroad track. Beyond the railroad track, just so you know, was kind of the beginning or the entrance to a natural park. Um, and so if you've been to Yellowstone, that's kind of the area, right? So if you're an eight-year-old David Campbell, you can get yourself into all kinds of places of danger at Yellowstone. And so don't go beyond the railroad track. And I think this is actually a, a picture for the Christian life in a lot of ways, because some of us have grown up with a theology, with an understanding of God, that there were like seasons of blessing, and then there's seasons of difficulty. And what you do is you make your way through the seasons of difficulty so that you can get to the seasons of blessing. Like you get out of Egypt so you can get to the promised land. The problem is, it's not really what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that blessing and hardship often go together, often they're parallel railroad tracks. So how many of you know that even in the promised land, like there's still hardship? There's still hard things. There's still pharaohs to be conquered. There's still thirsts, there's still hunger. There's still doubt. And how many of you know that in Egypt, that's not a place that's void of blessing? How many of you know that in Egypt, God is still at work? He's still speaking. He's still providing. 
like he's still good. So we can't just say like, well, it's a season of blessing or a season of suffering, like often they go together. And it's in that context that this guy in the New Testament named the Apostle Paul, he's a guy that plants a ton of churches. And he's a spiritual leader and authority in the New Testament church. He writes a letter to a church in the city of Colossae. I think we have a map of kind of the ancient world that kind of shows Rome, Ephesus, Colossae. That's kind of the city we're talking about, Jerusalem, the Mediterranean Sea. That's kind of this ancient world. Asia Minor, if you're trying to get technical, if you're a belt rider, this is what Asia Minor is. And so he writes these words, Colossians chapter 1, we're going to read 24 to chapter 2, verse 5. The heading in my Bible says, Paul's labor for the church. He writes these words, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect or mature in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and those of Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and in united in love, so that they may have the riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So Paul is in prison. And he's in prison not because he's a Christian. He's in prison because he's preaching the gospel. And often when we talk about being a follower of Jesus, when we talk about being a Christian, we talk about ideas. Like what ideas are we talking about for someone who says, yes, like I believe in God, I believe in Jesus even. Like I'm, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower. But how do you know that ideas are different than practices? So Paul's not in prison for the idea of being a Jesus follower. He's in prison because of the practice of being a Jesus follower. So like, what kind of practices are we talking about? Like, there's tons that we could talk about. I just want to talk about a, a few uh, this morning. Practice uh, number one is surrender. So to be a follower of Jesus is to be a person who has a practice of surrender. Like a lot of us this morning, like we love ideas. We're all about ideas. Oh, honey, we should do that thing someday. How's that going? How are we doing with the practices 
of the things we talk about. Simple things like staining the deck or reseeding the lawn or cleaning out the garage. Man, we are like idea people. Like, let's go on the ideas. But the life of Jesus challenges our practices. So the practice of surrender, the, the practice of self-control, like not doing what you want to do. Like, how's that going? Like, how often in your life do you make decisions based on what you would desire, what fits into to your category of a good idea? So we can talk about surrender. We can talk about self-control. We can talk about generosity. Generosity, taking from what could belong to you and placing it at the feet of someone else. A lot of us like, might like the idea of generosity. How many of you know that generosity really is giving until it hurts? You know, it's one thing to go to the gym and lift in a way that doesn't really hurt. Like, man, I can do those five pound like, dumbbells on top. I can put them hurt. But you start increasing weight, it hurts after a while. Generosity works like that. It's giving not from like what you have left over. No, it's giving from what could be yours. Giving until it hurts. How many of us like the idea of that? Especially at Christmas time, right? There's like all these like special giving initiatives at Christmas time. And there's something sweet and great about that. But what about like the rest of the year? What's happening the other 364 days? So we talk about self-control, we talk about sacrifice, we talk about generosity, about compassion. Not just like the idea of compassion, but the practice of being a compassionate person. There's this super powerful moment in the scriptures. And Jesus is gathered with his disciples and there's the crowds. And the crowds are present, and it says, the gospel writer tells us, that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because why? They were harassed, and they were helpless. Like what? Like sheep without a shepherd. Do you know what's always grabbed me about that? is that upon seeing the crowds, Jesus has compassion. Like, not hearing their story, not sitting with them for a couple hours, but upon sight, Jesus lays eyes on them and he has compassion for them. Because he's harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's the practice of compassion. And so what happens when we lay eyes on someone? Like are we practiced in judgment? Or are we practiced in compassion? I'm not gonna speak for the room today. We're not gonna go around, we're not gonna pass around a microphone. I'll just tell you for myself. My reflex, my impulse, often is not upon seeing someone, compassion fills my heart. Often upon seeing someone, I come to some conclusions 
about what their story is, about what's true for them. And the scripture says that that's the stuff that the Lord wants to get. That's the stuff that the Lord wants to be rid of. That's the stuff where the Lord says, oh, no, 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 I didn't create you to be that kind of person. So they don't get too comfortable with the idea of following me. Because the more you follow me, the more you will be uncomfortable with the practices that I will call you to. So all that to say, Paul's in prison, not for being a Christian, but for preaching the gospel. So verse 24, we hear about Paul's suffering. Paul says that he suffers for the Colossians. He says that he's suffering for you, for the sake of the body, which is the church. Kind of three ways to say, like, hey, I'm suffering for this group of people. And Paul says, like, I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill it with my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Like, I rejoice. And I just want to say, like, how is that possible? Like, how is it that you are rejoicing in your affliction? Rejoicing in your suffering? Rejoicing in your hardship? Rejoicing in your pain? Paul says, I do this with joy. And I do this with joy because the issue is not just serving Christ. My focus is not just serving Christ, but my focus is serving like Him. So it's not just that I live a life of worship unto King Jesus, who is high and almighty and lifted up, seated on a throne. It's not just that I'm serving Him, but that I'm serving like Him. And what impacts the, the message of the church in the world, I'll just tell you, is that too many of us get caught in serving Christ and not serving like Him. And it sounds good to serve Christ. That is what we want to be doing. But can I just remind you how we do that matters? That's what Paul wants to tell the Colossian church. So Paul's suffering, and then he wants to talk about his commission. He's there to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. And there's lots of things in the scriptures that we don't, we have a hard time kind of getting our arms around. We kind of wrestle with them a little bit. Commission is not one of those things. Like we know about commission in our world. Like many of us go to a workplace and we've been commissioned to do a certain thing, to fulfill a, a certain task. And so we're not surprised when there are expectations of us. But we wrestle with commission in the sense that there are just some things we're commissioned to do that we just kind of see as optional. Like, get to them if you can. Like, other duties as assigned kind of thing. I mean, if you go out to lunch after this and you swipe your debit card, you're signing a thing, and I don't know if you write Mickey Mouse or what you do, you could probably write any name and they wouldn't know. But what you're saying is like, hey, I've got to pay for this. 
you're not saying like, yeah, my mom's gonna pay for this, unless you have your mom's debit card. That's a whole different conversation that we'll have a different day. But that you're being commissioned to something. There's an expectation. Or like when you go to the DMV in South Dakota, amazingly, will give you a driver's license if you can pass a test. Well, what are you being commissioned to do? That you're handed that driver's license and you're being commissioned to be a safe driver. Again, that's the idea. That's not necessarily the practice. That's the idea. And so we know about commission in our day. Too many of us have picked and chosen what commissions we're going to build our life around. And a lot of people, I believe, are spending too much time frantically trying to figure out like what their commission actually is, like what they've actually been called to do in a particular way. This is my son Griffin's baseball bat. We had lots of RBIs this summer with this 28-incher. My friend who's an amateur baseball player signed it, so he was in the first service, so that was kind of fun. And how many of you know of playing baseball, like, it matters where you hit it on the bat. Like, if you hit it off the top, it's probably going to go foul. Right? If you hit it in on your hands, you know, you can do like one of those dribblers, right? Dribble up to the pitcher, you're going to be called out. But there's another place that, don't worry, I'm not going to hit anybody. You just want to be with nervous. But there's a place on the barrel that you want to hit it for you to have an impact. And can I tell you that too many of us have been so concerned about our particular commission, what we've been called to do in a particular sense, and we haven't gotten on board with a general commission to come to Jesus and help other people do the same. Like, we're trying to figure out, like, our own personal thing. And it's no wonder why we're spinning our wheels. It's no wonder why we float from thing to thing to thing to thing. Because we haven't gotten the first thing right. We're spending a life hitting dribblers to the pitcher. When really the Lord has made us for the general commission to come to Jesus, to know him and have other people do the same. And like that's where the joy comes from. That's where the meaning comes from. That's where the purpose comes from. And that's what Paul, Paul wants the Colossian church to know. Griffin was at first... The first gathering was dead. You better make sure you bring that home, buddy. That gives you an insight to our relationship. And then Paul's goal. Here's the end. Paul's goal at the end is that they would be mature. Uh, the word in the scriptures is perfect. Those of you who are like high achievers, don't take that word perfect too far. It comes from this Greek word telos which means complete. So it's not getting everything right, not having anything to work on, but it's about being mature, complete people. The King James Version, and I really like this, says full of age. That at the end, we would be full of age. You know, you think about like that, that funeral that you attend, and someone near to you has died, but they've lived many, 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 many decades. And there's a sadness, there's a heaviness, there's a grief to that moment, to laying that person to rest. But for the people who have lived a full life, they're full of age. 
Like there's a blessing in that. There's a legacy that's left. And really the, the question for us is, what's our life going to be about? Like Paul's goal is like, hey, that you would all go on to maturity. You would all be full of age. How do you know that probably won't be the story for everyone? You know, it's, it's one thing to feel a, a prompt on your way home from work to go pick up some flowers. These are $5 flowers from Peggy. That's my wife, Michaela. She can get them later this afternoon, but I had to buy them for a sermon illustration first. So put them in the thread. I was like, hey, they're not for you now, they're for you later. Um, if that's kind of one thing, right? Hey, as you're driving home, I thought, you know, that's kind of one thing. But it would be a kind of a different story to be on your driving home and you're just like, man, I just feel like I really want to tell you how much I love you and care about you. And so, like, I got you these, like, flower seeds. Um, that's a different thing. Grown and mature. And seeds. And Paul wants to make sure that the Colossian church doesn't get to the end and they just have this to show for them. If that happens, they've missed it. What Paul wants to make sure happens is that at the end, this is what's true about them. That they're a bouquet of flowers more than they are a package of seeds. These are carpet of snow, mm -hmm. which is fine, but it's a bunch of seeds. And that's not judgment on anybody today. That's not dividing the church between the flower bouquet people and the seed people. Because it's true that we are all in the process of becoming. That's just an encouragement from the hand and the mouth and the heart of the Apostle Paul to be bouquet kind of people. And then Paul talks about his effort. He says, I labor and I struggle with all of this energy that so powerfully works in me. I labor and I struggle. And whose energy is it? It's God's energy. That so powerfully works in me. And here's what I want you to notice at the end of I want you to notice not where Paul is. In the church, we talk a lot about where Paul is. He's in prison, and he writes a lot of letters from prison. And sometimes we get so caught up in Paul's circumstances. But what I want you to notice today is not where Paul is. I want you to notice what Paul has become. Because what's true of Paul in the book of Acts, especially early on, He's a persecutor of Christians. Like he's fighting against the will of God. He's fighting against the people of God. And something happens to him. He comes face to face with Jesus. And there's a transformation that happens. And so Paul says, I can rejoice as I fill up in my flesh the afflictions. I can rejoice in that place, not because of where I'm seated, but because of what I've become, because of what has happened to me. So Paul will say, you can put me anywhere. You want to put me in Egypt? Go ahead. Put me in Egypt. You want to put me in the promised land? Go ahead. Put me in the promised land. You want to put me in jail? Go ahead. Put me in jail. You want to put me in the palace? Put me in the palace. Because what's the evidence of a transformed life? You're the same person no matter where you are. 
That's how you know transformation and change has actually happened. And you don't like kind of like act one way around these people or act one way in church and one way at your workplace. Where people at your work be like, oh, Dave, I didn't know you went to church. I'm like, yeah, I sort of leaped you. Like, how tragic is that? So Paul can say, I rejoice in my afflictions, in my sufferings. Two reasons. One, it's doing something for you, and it's working something in me. Because it's not about where I am, but it's about the person that I have become. So invitation church, that's the choice we have before us today. Flowers or it succeeds. And so, even in this weird time, when you come to church and it's kind of more like a Bible study, there's something beautiful about it on the one hand, and there's something about it that's like it feels like a coat that doesn't quite fit. And like we're wearing masks and the whole deal. Even in this time, I believe there is something that God wants to do so that we would be the kind of people and we can say, God, you can put me anywhere. And I want to be the same person. You want to put me in Egypt? Do it. You want to put me in prison? Do it. You want to put me in the promised land? Do it. Because I'm going to worship you the same way. I'm going to serve you the same way. Because I'm not just trying to serve you. I'm trying to serve like you. So put me where you would have me. And when we can get to that place, that's something that we can rejoice about. We can agree with Paul. And surely God has been good to me. Because he's filled me with his love. He's empowered me by his spirit. He's called me his very own. Those are powerful words for us to live in. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus. We thank you so much. We give you thanks and praise today for this gathering, for these people. Father, I'm so grateful for them. Uh, what a gift it is to be part of this church. What a gift it is to be your son, to be your daughter, to have a place in your kingdom. God, I want to pray not just for our church, but for our world. A world that desperately needs Jesus that desperately needs to know the grace of God that's available to them, that desperately needs to know the victory that they can have in Jesus' name. And so God, I'm just asking that you would place us where you want us. Because we're not trying just to live into the ideas of following Jesus. We're people about practices. So God, we're open, we're willing, we're asking. And we're not getting wrapped up in this one season of our time on planet Earth. But we're, we're seeing the larger deal today. We're seeing above it all. This is the season in life that you desire to grow us and to use us and to transform us and send us. We're not always going to be standing in these days, but while we are standing in these days, would you make something of us? Would you create in us a new heart, a new spirit? 
you empower us not just to be Christians, but to preach the gospel by our words, by our life, by our witness. We give you thanks and praise today. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came because he loved us. Thank you so much for being here today. I want to just encourage you as you leave. It's really, really helpful uh, to keep RSVPing. I think it is likely in the coming weeks that we'll be able to go back to one gathering, but we wanted to start separated so we didn't get overwhelmed. So as your pastor, I am so thankful to be back standing in front of you. I have missed this more than I can articulate with words. Uh, I love you. I am so proud of the decisions we've made at the church. It's not easy. Uh, we are stepping into uh, what is difficult, but we're also doing that by the Holy Spirit of God. And so thanks for being a part um, of all of that and look forward to seeing you in the coming weeks. Grace and peace.